This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's a miracle this got off the ground in the first place. Scott Owen. Adam, that's Park Dupree. Put some respect on the home of Queensland football. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice do you have. Starting now. Well, it's time for another A-League season on the Brisbane Football Review, and that means it is time for our season preview show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I would like to remind you, it's really not that hard for most people to go to a football match without making Nazi gestures. It's really not that difficult. Isn't that right? Scott, how are you? It's not that difficult, uh, James. How are you? I've enjoyed the uh, 10-day brief off-season, ready to go for another A-League men's season to kick off another year on the Brisbane Football Review. Yes, Adam, how was your brief break between the local and national seasons? Ah, oh, it's very good, but I'm, I've got one foot out the door for a, for a holiday moan. So, uh, yeah, you're going to make a brief appearance here today, get my predictions in, and then I'm going to go away for a month. That's right. I actually forgot that uh, international travel was a thing again after a couple of years yeah. of you being uh, confined to Australia. But, um, yes, before we get into the show, we should... It's very smart to turn up for the previous show as well, to actually get your pred- predictions in, in person. Otherwise, you end up with just ridiculous stuff. Isn't that right, James? Yeah, just alphabetical order, wasn't it? Uh, something like that. <laughs> All right. So, if you are tuning in for the first time, this is the Brisbane Football Review. We're three guys in season seven, I believe, now of of our show covering the Brisbane Raw, the A-Leagues, and all the local football. We've got a lot to get to over the next 75 or so minutes. But if you want to get in contact with us, our email, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Facebook is still the Raw Review. Twitter, at BNE Football. And we are also on Instagram, Brisbane Football Review. Don't worry, we promise there are not going to be uh, a whole lot of selfies being uploaded on the stories. Scott, that goes for you especially. Sure. When I log into Instagram, you'll know about it. (laughs) An unauthorised login attempt was made from... (laughs) Anyway, yes. So, it has been uh, a fairly eventful time going forward uh, all up. And Adam, before we get into the uh, football things, uh, you just wanted to mention uh, the tragedy that happened in Indonesia. Yeah, there was um, a very, very uh, tragic incident that happened at the uh, Kenduruhan Stadium in Malang, Java, uh, I guess overnight, uh, where 120 20 people so far have been reported killed and hundreds more injured uh, in a was a stampede at, at the, the ground. So obviously we would uh, like to extend our deepest sympathies and condolences to all those affected. Uh, as we always say with a lot of things, when it comes to that, no football fan should ever not come home after a game of football no matter what. And unfortunately there's a large number of families who have lost loved ones in this instance. So uh yeah, look, our, our condolences are to all affected. Yes, thank you very much. We can all agree with those sentiments. And uh, we should also mention, as I kind of did in the introduction, um, seriously, Sydney United, like the portion of the fans, be it large, small, whatever you want to describe it as, you had your chance to showcase yourselves on the national stage. What is wrong with you? I mean, really? Uh, yeah. <sighs> There's not much that can be said about that other than it was incredibly disappointing to say the least and congratulations to MacArthur SC on their first piece of, of silverware in their existence but I think it's en- and that's enough mentions for Sydney United and their um, fans' reprehensible behaviour for one episode. I agree. I think... 
they're right, right there, that's the tragedy. While we should be congratulating MacArthur, and that should be the lasting thing. Unfortunately, the headlines are not that. It's you know the 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 actions of a small. A small bunch of Sydney United fans. Look, that the stuff about fascism and Nazi salutes and all that. I I can't believe that this is still happening in 2022. That's something that should have died out 60 years ago. Like so, and that's in society in general. Forget forget football in society. So the fact that anyone actually thinks that this is a good idea, uh, I'm sorry, you're on the wrong side of history. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, let's move on because this is the preview for the 2022-23. A-League men's season. And there's a lot to look forward to this year, I really think, overall uh, in the A-League. We'll start off with you, Scott. And I just want to say, last year, look, it sucked by and large last year. I think it was almost 90 of 144 games were postponed due to COVID. Already had a couple uh, forced to be moved because of uh, the glory getting stuffed around by the government out there, uh, based on what we've heard from our friends at Far, Far Post Perth. But overall, that's got to be the best part of this season is the fact that it seems like, by and large, the fixture list will be delivered as listed. Yeah, we're going to get a normal A-League season with a caveat. Well, I guess the caveat in a minute, but it's going to be a normal A-League season for the first time since 2020 where we haven't had restrictions and protocols around the pandemic interrupting things of what you can and can't do. We spoke to Warren Moon about this in an interview coming up, but it's it's the first time he's had the chance to have a normal pre-season, James, and a, a normal season come up with where there won't be any games postponed because of borders, borders or lockdowns or any of this sort of stuff happening. It'll only be weather-related instances that trigger that. So this will be a normal A-League season, if you like. With the caveat, we do have a six-week break coming up of whatever it is, somewhere around there for the World Cup. So it's going to be a normal season with a break in the middle of it. So it will still be a very interesting season, one I'm very much looking forward to. And hopefully, for the Raw's perspective, the um, uh, travel to away games will be back to a much more normal schedule because we know that was a very big issue for them at the start of last season. Well, I have good news for you, Scott. It's not a six-week break for the World Cup. I think it ends... Yeah, it's a four-week break, isn't it? Exactly. Adam? Yeah, uh, the, yeah. I guess that's, that's exactly what it comes down to. Is that I think, uh, the, I think the season last season and and the one before that was pretty much you know the form line you could pretty much throw out the window because teams are playing either very regularly or too regularly as far as you know three games in seven days, three games in eight days, and that that was an awful strain on clubs that had you know, a 23-man roster. So and it was a case of it almost came down to the last last team standing and who, who could manage their roster and whatnot. So I think the fact that we're going to have a normal season with schedules delivered, and I think this is this is the big litmus test for um, for the, the A-League in its current era of being owned by the uh, Australian Professional Leagues, is that the, the excuses of the past, of the past season now, are gone. They, they, they need that, this league as a whole needs to deliver if we're going to go forward. And that, well, that was actually the next point I wanted to get onto. So thank you for teeing that up, Adam. But yeah, it it has, it, I'm calling this era A-League 2.0 because essentially last year it was almost like the APL was being set up as a startup company as well, bringing in all the right personnel from around the league. Danny Townsend, uh, the CEO was, you know, to his credit, I would say, making himself as visible as possible on social media. That also does come with, uh, a little bit of a, you know, a, a little bit of a negative connotation. His palette's also a lot cleaner now. He's not also running another club, which allows him to focus on the league. Well, yes, that too. But also, it does seem like 
it did make him a lightning rod for criticism, for better or worse. That is, by and large, what you would expect from someone in his role being the guy who is front and centre, dealing with a lot of the issues. We don't need to reiterate some of the stuff that was going on uh, from the fans' perspective as well. Wellington not being able to play at home for most of the season, not to mention the you know, the uh, streaming issues with Paramount, some of which were user-inflicted. I will say that in Paramount's defence, but then there were also some other uh, yeah. things going on as well. It just wasn't what we would have hoped, but you're kind of counting on the fact that this year, a lot of the things that they... A lot of the things that they would have been wanting to deliver or start delivering last year, they can finally begin to bring through because this isn't going to be an overnight flick the light switch rebuild Scott it's going to be the start of a three four year project now where they've got to try and get the A-League back on the right direction and last year was almost year zero this is this is basically year one because it started out of the gate for a number of reasons there which we've already spoken about the off-field pandemic related issues that affected the scheduling in a, a terrible way the broadcaster didn't have the most auspicious start to the to the season in terms of the way they want to do things hopefully they've managed to get the technology for things like um, um, Rewind would be a nice start. Ability to um, watch the stream from the beginning as it is in play, that would be a good thing. These type of these type of functions that other streaming platforms have, hopefully they've been able to do that. But this is, you're right, this is 8League 2.0 got off to a slow rebuild start last year, but this is really the first year they've had as a completely open country to try and implement the changes they want to make. And I think this is the year to really judge what they're, trying to do and the effectiveness of that. Well, two points about uh, the broadcasting thing as well. After my experience with uh, NFL Game Pass for the first four weeks of the season, there is a massively low bar for Paramount to clear uh, between that, ESPN and uh, Amazon and KO in terms of uh, some of the real struggles that those platforms have had over, over the last few months. Plus, the one thing I did notice with the Australia Cup final broadcast on Saturday night was the fact that the in-play ads seem to have disappeared as well. I noticed they did that uh, shrinking of the action on the pitch and just had uh, the border ads, including promoting the upcoming A-League season. Yeah, it looks like obviously that they've uh, figured out uh, picture-in-picture, so which is, uh, which is a, you know, a good sign, which obviously alleviates one of the problems of, you know, of the broadcaster cutting away and potentially missing you know, a key moment in the game. So that, that's at least it's Like the goal in a semi-final. Yeah, that's, uh, that was that, the awful one. That was what I was trying to sort of intimate towards. But look, I think it's in the day. Yeah, we will. We all acknowledge that. Yeah, last season was year zero, but and 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 also as well, we've got to acknowledge that it's not going to be all solved overnight. But what you want to see is progress, uh, year upon year upon year. And and so this is the big test. We want to see after after sort of what was seemed to be a very disrupted season last year. I think all we want is a season where there's a consistent schedule. Now, obviously, a lot of the broadcasting issues have been sorted out, and also, just just as well, just a general sort of, sort of you know, um, I guess, increase as far as the standard of the league goes in general, in general play. There's not much wrong with the on-field product, I, I must say that. If it's going to get the, the shell that encapsulated, they've got to get that right to allow the on-field product to shine. And that's the buzzword I'm going to keep coming back to over the next six, nine, however many months it is until the grand final. Stability. That is what you want over the entire course of the season. You want stability, structure, 
And look, I can guarantee that when we're doing our season recap show in May-ish, we're also got. I'm probably going to have moved the goalposts a little bit because you have to with things like this. But right now, that is the main thing I want. Give me a stable fixture list and a stable structure to the league, and that's a good start as well. Still some, uh, some other things that will need to be addressed, but as I said, this is a three-, four-year project. I'm not going yeah. to... Uh, expect everything to be fixed overnight because yeah. it's not going to go back to 2013, 14, 15 when the A League was at its absolute peak in terms of crowd numbers, active sport, all that. It's not going to go back to that overnight. That took nearly that took a decade almost of building in the A League to get to that point. You're not going to get back to that overnight given given the stuff that's happened over the last few years. It's going to be a two, three year journey to get to that. But to your point, you just want to see that journey beginning. Yep, that's exactly it. All right. Let's move on, and uh, we'll get going with the Raw season preview and talk about, well, what has been pretty eventful off-season, both on and off the pitch. Uh, as we've mentioned previously in the past, we are aware of the Corey Brown saga going on with the Raw, attempting to terminate his contract. Um, however, that was taken to the Football Australia National Dispute Resolution Council. Mark Gottlieb had the story last week saying that Corey Brown had uh, initially won the uh, judicial process, the appeal or whatever, but the Raw... The hearing, have, yeah. yeah, the hearing. But the Raw have uh, apparently taken out their uh, right to appeal, which is where we understand the process is at at the moment. Given it is still a matter before... Uh, or still under review, there's not really much we can say about that one way or another. We're going to wait until there's some sort of official statement, be it from the Raw, Football Australia, just something with a little bit more legal standing. Like with with no disrespect to Mark Gottlieb, he's a good reporter. He gets these stories, but considering it's still uh, yeah. underway, there's not really much we can offer in terms of analysis because when it comes to lawyers, my main experience is watching Boston Legal. Yeah, no one has come out to refute that claim from Mark Gottlieb into reporting but there's just not enough there to go on and frankly nothing's changed in terms of what we said about it on, I don't think it was the last show it might have been the one before James when we spoke about this topic nothing's really changed that we can add to it in any way so we're aware of it and hopefully it comes to a resolution sooner rather than later for all parties No, I can't add much to that uh, it would just uh, like I said just a bit more patience, uh, it looks like the parties have moved on, uh, yep. we'll just wait and see what the final outcome is yeah, and look, if there's something to if there's something to say one way or another, we'll happily say it. But until we've got something clear, then we can't really go much further on it. Where we can go uh, further is talking about Anindya Bakri uh, buying into Oxford United. That's part of the Bakri group that owns the Brisbane Raw, Scott. Yes, they've bought like 51%, I think it is, of Oxford United, an English football league team over there. So they're continuing to build their footballing portfolio. Interesting to see if there becomes any sort of link or synergy between Brisbane and Oxford or if they keep them as two separate two separate entities. Well, all I can say on that is uh, we have seen the City Group uh, utilise their network of clubs quite effectively. And yeah, I think, I think that is going to be the way forward for uh, the Raw here and there. There has also been uh, several off-field changes with the Raw uh, backroom staff. And we'll lead off with that with the announcement of three new general managers, Matt Smith, Ante Kovacevic, and uh, Riz Kalea. Rizka is, a, in my opinion, one of, if not the hardest-working staff member at the Raw over the last decade Absolutely. or so. 
getting a well-earned promotion while Matt Smith is uh, back as GM of marketing, I believe. Marketing commercial, commercial. is the official title. Yep. And uh, Kovacevic will be in charge of the football department. And uh, they will be replacing the departed Dave Pure, who left as far uh, as far as we can remember from the uh, story back in May due to health reasons. And it still remains that we hope that those uh, health issues uh, continue to improve for Mr. Pure, who was always nice to us. But um, in the meantime, for the Raw, it is all systems go with the new off-field setup, Adam. It is. It's a very, very... Uh Different setup. I could. I can understand the few sort of uh, raised eyebrows as well. The one. The one thing that also we need to mention is that uh, Chris Fong is now obviously the executive um, chief executive officer who will obviously oversee uh, the three general managers as far as we understand how the org structure works. But yeah, it's a very very different structure for Australian. I think almost for Australian sport, we have three general managers. We always, we always like in business and sport to where it's you have a general manager who's generally the boss, and then you have have your sort of your subordinates under it. So, um, but I think obviously as well, there's sort of I guess the Royal looking at the fact that you now the the business is structured in or the club I should say is structured in three key pillars, and obviously having someone in charge of each pillar, and then obviously having their their people under that is probably the best way to sort of try. And eliminate a lot of the crossover and eliminate, you know, a lot, probably a lot of the bureaucracy that was probably in the past, you know, that was sort of, you know, maybe affecting the performance of the club. So, so yeah, so it'd be interesting to see how this goes. But look, the, the people that are in the general manager's roles are three fantastic people. Pedigreed, as far as, you know, what they've done. Ante Kovacevic, if you're not, a, not aware, he is a former former uh, director of football at both um, at, all, at Perth, Perth Glory, Adelaide United, West United. The latter two in his tenure pretty much set up those clubs to win um, A-League championships. Uh, and obviously as well, Matt Smith obviously needs no introduction as a player and also as at Brisbane City. So look, in the hands of three very, very um, talented people, and let's just hope that you know, the, the club gets, I guess, again, to steal your buzzword, James, a bit of stability about them. Absolutely. I mean, the one you mentioned that Chris Fong is taking more hands-on roles, I think it's also probably quite a good thing. He's becoming, he's done it once before, but I think it's really important now that in this new regime that there is somebody there to oversee the whole thing. So he's really good to see him back in and around the club on a daily basis. It seems like he's taking a more hands-on role. In terms of the three general managers, they are running three very different parts of the football club. It's a different approach. It's a new approach. But I do like it, James, in terms of the fact that they all have their individual departments of the club to run. And I think it does allow them to focus in on those particular areas as opposed to having one person overseeing the whole thing. It allows them to focus on their their parts of the club. And Adam broke it down really nicely. Matt Smith's always been really good to us as a coach at Brisbane City. And we wish him all the best. And he's very well qualified for the role he's taken. I think, James, you said Risk is the hardest working person absolutely. at Brisbane Raw. And that is absolutely the case, I think. And, and Ante Kovacevic, as Adam said, is very much qualified to, to be running the football department. He's done very successfully at other clubs and I think it's a really good appointment for him to oversee that so it's it's an interesting way of doing it but I do think it's a it's a certainly a good way to look at it it's, I'm, it's, sorry, I mean, it's, I'm very optimistic that this is a, the right way to go it's a very uh, US pro sports uh franchise them all as far as the way that the org structures been worked out so so yeah so it'd be interesting whether that can correlate here in in you know in a sporting club here in australia but look you know uh you got know, you got to try new things sometimes and you now out of the box thinking has never always hurt yeah exactly and i think that's uh 
pretty much where I'm landing. The only interesting thing I, I didn't realize was uh, Matt Smith's um, tertiary qualification is in marketing and communication because I think when it was rumored that Smith was going to be making his return, we all thought it would be in a uh, primarily football role, probably working uh, with Shane Stefanudo or something. But by the sounds of it, it's, uh, he's going to be working with marketing, which is an inter- it's an interesting change of pace for him as well because, as you said, he's coming from coaching and playing for Brisbane City in the NPL Queensland competition. But um, I think he's going to be able to bring that sort of angle to the... Um, that football angle to the role as well. There have been some coaching staff changes as well. Graham Harvey, uh, technical director and head coach of Redlands United, the FQPL1 double winners in the FQ competitions. Um, He is now in as an assistant to Warren Moon as well. Scott, that's you. Oh, so yes. (laughs) Yes, He's a very well-credentialed coach for Graham Harvey. We've seen him also do some work in the last couple of years over in Asia in the Champions League. So he's a very well-credentialed coach and... He'll add to the um, add to a really good coaching stuff there at um, Brisbane under Warren Moon. He's got Scott Goyet back as well as an assistant, so two pretty well credentialed assistants there to work underneath. And it's a, I, I, it's a, I don't mind that. And also with Matt Smith, you mentioned that it's a, I did. We all kind of thought it would be a football role, but he's very much cr- well credentialed for for that to your point with the tertiary stuff. So I think across the board, all the changes we've made off the field. They certainly strengthen the club. And he's also very well known as well, both Graham Harvey and Matt Smith in the football community up here in Queens. And if they are looking to potentially mend some of those bridges, there's some two very good people to have on on the Raw's side. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, right. Look, yeah, on Graham Harvey's appointment, I think it's, it's a great appointment. I'd say he's he's probably he's probably the uh, most credentialed sort of local coach, and obviously having that uh, that sort of that local angle uh, as well as you know having the experience of you know he'd be as you know, been in in Asia. He's, he's coached over there. You know, in you know Champions League games and whatnot. So yeah, I think and he, like I said, he's he's done a magnificent job turning around uh, Redlands United as well. And I, I believe that he'll retain that role as technical uh, director as well amongst that. So obviously uh, he he will have that dual role as assistant coach of the Raw and technical director of Redlands United. Um, but yeah, look, a, a fantastic appointment and uh, wish him well. Yep. Then it was an Australia Cup campaign, which had plenty of highs, one massive low, but overall, first semi-final appearance for the Raw, every single game away from home. Adam, I feel like despite the um, heartbreaking exit, I think it's a delicate term to uh, describe it with, it was actually a pretty successful way to uh, prepare for the new A-League season. I think it's very successful. Forget, for, for, you know, like I said, ultimately you would have wanted want to, you know, go go and all the way and win it. But uh, look, I, I think you know, as an A League club, if you get if you get outside, you know, get past the round of sixteen, all these games, uh, then I think you know, a quarter final, semi final. I think these are like legitimately, you know, uh, tough games where otherwise, if you've been knocked out, you'll play meaningless friendlies. So they actually play meaningful football games in in your preparation in September. I think can only be a good thing. Uh, like at, at the end of the day, yeah, they only they only knocked off the one uh, A League club in Adelaide United in, in Adelaide, which I think, yeah, which I, I still think that's a very very good effort. Uh, to, to get there, but uh, yeah, look at the end of the day, those um, those uh, member federation clubs they faced, they all gave gave them a stiff test at some point in the in the run. Obviously, uh, Sydney United got the better of them in, in extra time, 
But um, yeah, look, I think that sends them a good step because if they get, if they had been the alternate where they got knocked out in, you know, the, in the playoffs, and just remember they, they had to qualify through the through the uh, to the playoff to get into the round 32. Um, the the preseason would have been looking very very different, and I potentially would actually say that you probably wouldn't be as um, optimistic about their fortunes as you would be on the back of this semi final run in the cup. So I was going to say two A-League opposition in their Australia Cup campaign because they also beat Western Sydney mm, yeah. Wanderers in the playoff, also away from home. But So I think it was a very successful Australia Cup campaign. Obviously, it's the best the Raw have ever done getting to a semi-final, but they beat some really tough opposition in the NPL away from home in difficult circumstances. Okay, they went to extra time in a couple of those, but they were able to get the job done. And Adelaide's always been a tough place for the Raw to go. They haven't got the best record in South Australia, so getting a result down there was... A really encouraging result. I think it's, and Adam's point, it's really good when you can play competitive games in your pre-season as opposed to practice games and friendlies because we've actually seen, James, teams who've done well in the Australia Cup tend to start the A-League season quite well. So mm. I think that's a, it is a real boost for teams to have those competitive minutes in the legs as opposed to practice games where you're just trying things out, seeing what might work in the upcoming season. So I do think it's a real benefit for the rule that they have had these four or five competitive fixtures and I think it'll stand them in good stead in the first couple of rounds, particularly against teams like Western Sydney for example who didn't didn't play in the Australia Cup this year other than the playoffs. So for teams that haven't played in it, which I think were Western Sydney and Perth, it's a huge disadvantage for everyone who went deep in it, I think it's a big advantage. Yeah. yeah exactly. I think it showed a, we got the chance to see quite a bit of mental strength from the uh, side as well in that uh, run to the Australia Cup as well because they just, like, they had to battle in those games, which to me was the biggest surprise of it all. Was that, uh, that first game against, was it Heidelberg? Yes. Yeah, where they gave up an equaliser and then within a couple of minutes went straight back down the other end and put the game away. They could have very easily uh, went down to Avondale as well uh, in that game that went to extra time. Against Adelaide, they closed out the game... Um, helped by Adelaide going down to uh, just 10 players. But overall, there was plenty to like uh, from what you saw in that uh, squad as well. Now, one person who I'm sure saw plenty to like as well from those games was the head coach of the Brisbane Warren Moon. And Scott and Adam, you guys had a chance to catch up with him at the Raw's open training session earlier today. Uh, Public holiday Monday, if you're playing along at home. Let's hear that interview with Warren Moon now. Donald seems very well coach for some more Warren Moon. Let's talk to us once again. Thank you. Another season on the verge of getting underway. Looking forward to getting underway? Yeah, absolutely. It's been um, a long pre-season. It's had a bit of a stop and a start phase to it. But uh, overall, it's been a far better pre-season than the last pre-season, less affected by COVID. And uh, and we've had a much better preparation with, with some players that we've brought in as well. I was going to ask you about that. This is the first pre-season you've had in your time at the club where there hasn't been any protocols in terms of things that you've been restricted from doing. Has it made things a lot easier for you and been able to do things differently this time around compared to previous years? Look, it certainly helped. I think we've had the most uh, competitive matches in the pre-season since I've been here as well. We've, we've played a lot of A-League teams now. We've had the Cup. Uh, we obviously made the semi-final of the Cup, which helped... Um, Although, although disappointed by the result against Sydney United, but at least we got meaningful matches, which was good for us as a group. And uh, yeah, so I think we're far more uh, match hardened and ready for the uh, the games ahead. So in terms of that Australia Cup game, it didn't end the way you would have liked to, but these the competitive minutes that you got ahead of the upcoming season that other teams didn't get by being knocked out earlier, that must be a real boost for the team going forward with those competitive minutes in the legs. Yeah, it was. It was 
it was invaluable. Um, but um, but uh, you know, look, it, it doesn't escape our disappointment. You know, we're still disappointed even now watching the game on Saturday night. What might have been uh, for us? You know, it's it's natural that you you still get reflect on the game against Sydney and, and, and obviously the chances we had and didn't take early. And, um, but it, again, it was a competitive match and, and we've had plenty of those now. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, like I said, I think we're ahead of where we were last pre-season. This is a unique season with the World Cup break in the middle. How important is this first stretch of games for you, given that there will be a break in the, in the middle of the season? Look, I, yes, it is. But the A-League traditionally, um, you know, there's a stat, I think, about the sides that start will generally make the top six. And I think there's no secret to that. We started well two years ago, finished fourth. We didn't start well last season, finished 11th. So, you know, for us, it, the, the start is critical. You know, we have to get points on the board early. We have to stay close to teams, um, pick up home wins and, and be, be much better on the road. And, you know, there's no sugarcoating that and, or hiding from last season. We're, we're, we just, at times, we're not good enough overall and, uh, and we need to be better in key areas. With that same mind, home games at the beginning of the season must be really crucial. How, how pleased are you to be able to get back to Sunfield Stadium? Ground, you've played at for the club, you haven't had a chance to manage that before. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and I think the players are. We, we did a, an internal game there last week, and I think the buzz for the players just to walk back into the stadium uh, brought back some happy memories for a lot, and uh, it's a magnificent stadium. And we just, you know, I think the big thing for us is we just want to see as many Raw fans there for that first game really come out and show the club um, what true Brisbane uh, support's like. And if we can get a big crowd there, I'm sure that will uh, translate to more matches there in the near future. Absolutely. In terms of the squad you've brought in this year, a couple of key names up front, Ricky Danzaki, Charlie Austin. You know, I'm sure you're looking for a lot of goals from them. Is that something you didn't, you're looking to um, improve or better on last year, aside lack of conversion in the front third? Well, I think in the two years I've been here, we've created, you know, I think we've been up there in the top three or four teams uh, on chance um, uh, chances per game. Not chance um, conversion, but chances per match. We create chances and... Um, you know, whichever way I've set us out to play, we're a side that, uh, you know, possession might not be high in terms of our uh, stats, but chances uh, in the game and shots on goal, shots on target. Uh, so um, we need people that can be more clinical and ruthless in the final third. And we've got uh, Ricky Back, who scored nine goals two years ago. He's already scored, I think, three or four in the pre-season FFA Cup or the Australia Cup games. And, and Charlie's a proven goal scorer with a, with a good history and a good career. So we hope that they're going to obviously contribute heavily. Uh, but others, I think, as well, can show uh, show a bit better goal-scoring form in front of the goal. Is there anyone in that front row from last year looking forward to take a big step forward in terms of hitting the goal, goal mark? Well, look, Henry scored five, and I think that's important for Henry to build. Joe Knowles is... Um, I just I can't speak highly enough so far of Joe since he's come in and what he's done to get his trial here and then to, to do what he's done in the last few weeks for us shows... Um, you know, I think uh, if you're still hungry and you still put the work in at NPL level, you know, rewards will come. And I'm really optimistic that he's going to have not just uh, uh, an opportunity to be back in the A-League, but a good season for us and, and contribute with some goals as well. Absolutely. I know you're a big believer in Queensland talent, apart from those guys you've got for the younger players around the Queensland. So how, how likely is it we're going to see some of those young guys get their opportunity this year, as we did, did see briefly in the Cup as well? Yeah, look, it's one thing getting here. It's another thing then taking the next step to, to become a regular. And I think um, at times boys have played, but uh, I think Henry's taken his opportunity really well last year. He's one that's really grown and, and, and shone on the A-League stage. Um, there's others in the squad that are in the squad, but now probably need to show me that they deserve to be here and that they can actually step up. And I think, you know, we all know the players that have come in, like Jez and people like that, Zabala, and they've had moments and they've had flickerings of um, matches where they've shown their ability. Uh, but we're looking for that consistency now. And if, the, if they're consistent and pushing the others, then it's only going to improve the squad.
Well, I'm particularly positions of interest in the fullback position. You try a lot of different players in combinations in that position in the cup. Is that you've got a in mind a set position there, or is that still a position that could be up for grabs? Well, look, it's up for grabs. We, we, we've, we've taken our time to bring in some left-sided players to the squad. We've got Carlo Armiente that's joined us, who can play as a wing-back and a winger, uh, which says we can be flexible again to go from a back three or a back four. We, we're not just set in one system, you know, and how we like to play. Uh, Jordan Courtney Perkins has played at left wing-back and at left back and at left centre-back, so we've got some options there. Uh, and we've seen Josh Brindle-South can play there, Jack in the preseason, and we've got options. So, you know, it's um, it's it's more about putting your hand up to the, to, to want and, and be in that starting lineup for Saturday and show that you're uh, in the best eleven. So, just finally, what's your expectations here? Is it a return to finals football, or is it something a bit higher than that? Look, I think first and foremost, we, we you know there's a lot that's been done off the field to improve this uh, football club. Uh, you know, it, it's been a struggle through COVID. Uh, Brisbane was no different. It's hit us really hard. Uh, there are there are things that we definitely had to improve in the off season since Chris Fong has uh, taken over um, the chairman role and uh, he's straight away made some really positive changes and I think we've all seen that that's first and foremost um, and now it's about rebuilding this club to back where it wants to get now that doesn't mean it's going to happen right here right now with me but it, but in the short term absolutely we want to be playing finals and that, that's got to be our first target. And thanks to Warren Moon for taking the time before the season gets underway. You guys were out at uh, Richlands, Adam. Pretty good atmosphere today? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, it was a very good insight watching this squad in their final preparations, uh, uh, which at the time of recording, six days uh, before their opening match against the Australia Cup winners, MacArthur. And uh, and yeah, look, uh, they, certainly they look like the squad pretty much uh, looks like firing, maybe with the exception of a couple that was sort of, you know, notable absentees as far as, you know, participating in the main group for, for a number of reasons. So, so yeah, but, um, yeah, a very good insight. It was a good, good day out at um, Redland to spend uh, this uh, Queen's or King's birthday holiday. It's the last Queen's no birthday. Yeah, some, some, it's public holiday today. Yes. Um, and I, I also thought uh, I couldn't make it because of other things going on, but... Um, from what I could see off the tweets, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, Warren Moon trying out the twin striker formation of Matt Clinton Freak and Jordan Holmes while uh, putting Matty Steinman in goals. That was a really interesting tactical switch ahead of the MacArthur game, Scott. And Tom Alder on the right wing was absolutely sensational. He's just in the crosses he was putting in for, for Scott Neville up front. It was absolutely superb stuff, James. Yes, that's it. All right. Uh, as we... And also, so the extra training yeah. session was really quite interesting. We don't get a chance to see training all that often, having seen training under a few different coaches, it's always done a bit differently. It's always interesting to see how different coaches do things. So it was quite a good insight to see how, how Warren Moon operates as a coach in a training session. So there was a fair bit of learning out of it. We won't give away too much of what we saw. Oh, yeah. we were supposed to give that away? I think the time all across it to Scott Neville is fine, don't worry. <laughs> all right, so as we do... Uh, Every season that we preview, we'll run through the Brisbane Raw squad and talk about some of the key storylines heading into uh, the season for each position group. Uh, starting with the transfers in, Carlo Armiento, Jordan Courtney Perkins, uh, he is on a season-long loan. Riku Danzaki is on loan as well. Joe Knowles has been signed out of NPL South Queensland. Sorry, Victoria. And uh, Anton Milanaric has made the permanent move after spending last season with the Raw on loan from Sydney SC. Departures, Eli Adams, Luke Ivanovich, Juan Lascano, Nick Olsen, Alex Parsons, and Rio Wada. Those are the players who uh, have left. 
So we're going to run through the squad position group by position group, and we'll start with the goalkeepers. Macklin Freak, he saw plenty of uh, action in the Australia Cup. Jordan Holmes had a bit of an interrupted preseason with the uh, hand surgery, and then the youngsters who saw plenty of time in the NPL season. It was uh, Lachlan Duke and Cardiff Pond. Since Adam is coughing up a lung, we'll go to you, Scott. What are you looking for out of this group? I think Jordan Holmes is going to start the year as the number one goalkeeper. I think the injury he suffered, the hand injury, saw him go through surgery in the offseason, probably is what gave Macklin Frank the first chance in goal in the Cup. He did pretty well in most of the games, but I do think that um, it will be Jordan Holmes. He was by far and away by the end of last year the number one goalkeeper. I think he will retain that spot. I think Lockie Duke got a couple of opportunities off the bench. If something happens to either of, of Macklin or Jordan Holmes, I think he would be the first one to come onto the bench, but I think it's pretty clear Jordan Holmes will be the Raw's number one goalkeeper and solidity at that position James is always a strong always a good thing so I would expect him to be number one goalkeeper yeah it's pretty typical um sort of review every year about the uh, Raw goalkeeper group it's always you know if if one goes down I think you'd be you'd be very reliable on the other and I think uh yeah Jordan Holmes I agree will probably be the number one on uh Saturday Macklin Freak obviously as well if something were to happen to Jordan Holmes I think is a very very capable number two and as I said uh yeah Lachlan Duke is as a third goalkeeper we saw plenty of him in the MPL season look he's a very handy uh, young prospect coming up as well so certainly uh the goalkeeping union is certainly not the place to worry about for the raw indeed Moving on, we've got the fullbacks, Jack Hingett, Jordan Courtney Perkins, Louis Zabala, Josh Brindle South, and youngster Zahi Artis, who has been signed after spending a bit of time with the Gold Coast United side under Gray Piddick. On on the whole, uh, Adam, we'll start with you. Yep. I feel like this this group isn't it, it's a good group, but I feel like it's still just missing something. What about you? Yeah, it's it's probably uh, missing probably a standout, you know, experienced uh, uh, fullback, but behind obviously Jack Hingott, who's one of the most, uh, who's probably one of the most uh, experienced fullbacks in the league. Uh, but obviously uh, Jordan Courtney Perkins coming back. He's on loan from his Polish club. Don't ask me to pronounce it. His Polish uh, club is good enough for me. Yep. Uh, Louis, Louis Zavala, obviously, over time, um, given a lot of time last season, has developed into a very, very handy uh, left back. Uh, not left back, a handy fullback in general. Uh, he obviously coming off the right more, more poorly, but we did actually see him play a bit of uh, left fullback as well. So he's probably he's probably versatile. And Josh Brindle South uh, is is obviously very serviceable. But I'm, I'm also very excited to see uh, Zahi Addis at some point potentially getting um, a. Yeah, you know, a chance. He is an excellent prospect. You know, but has actually played. Even though he's uh, a young player, he's he he re amassed 80 MPL senior games. Uh, made his debut so at 15, just over. I think it's 15 or 16. It was very very young. So, like, even though he's new at the uh, professional level, uh, a player that has actually had some um, has played experience at a senior level in MPL Queensland. Yeah, I think on Zahi, I think he was 16 making his debut back in 2019. And we saw him play a couple of games for Gold Coast United. And right from the start, James, you could see defensively his positioning was absolutely excellent. He was able to read the game defensively, knew where he needed to be positioning-wise, cut the cut out a lot of crosses and balls through. He was really good at that element of the game. And we actually thought at the time it wouldn't be a bad idea to bring him into the Raw Academy back then. They left him at Gold Coast United where he's developed his attacking game a bit more. He's a lot more comfortable on the ball going forward, actually more of a useful 
asset down that left-hand side, so he's become more of an all-round fullback. I think he'll probably start off at the back end of the depth chart, but we'll have to wait and see. This is the one position, James, and I'm not really sure who's going to be the first choice here. Who's going to play? Because all these guys have played a fair bit of football for the Brisbane Roar in the last 12 months, so we know Jack Ingett, really experienced player. He's probably, in most fans' eyes, the first choice in that right-hand side position. Josh Brindle South played a lot of lot of football, and Jordan Courtney Perkins is a pretty good player as well. We've seen him play in the past in that left wing-back role, and in the last 12 months, the emergence of of um, trying to give the name actually. Sorry, um, Louis Zabala had a bit of a name, but of Louis Zabala from a player who was just breaking into the raw NPL side to as a the central mid- midfielder, yeah, in the midfield, mm. and now he's playing pretty regularly as a fullback. I'm not sure who's going to be the starter in this position. It's probably the one position where, if you asked me, who will be the raw starters on the weekend against Macarthur, I have no idea. You can make an argument for all four of those guys in that position. So, I'll probably maybe not Courtney Perkins because he's probably hasn't done the preseason that others have. So. Of the other three, I'm not sure who starts. It's a really tight, interesting race, and it'll be interesting to see how that, how that, so how those positions evolve over the course of the season. And that's the interesting thing about this group as well, and it kind of leads into our next uh, segment. But we know Zabala can play as a central midfielder as well. We've seen it in the NPL; he's quite good at that level in that role. I would not be at all surprised if eventually we see him make a move back to that central midfield role, but just. As it stands, he's more likely to get minutes at uh, in, as a fullback. But it also comes down to whether or not the Raw are playing a back three slash five or a back four. Because we know in a back three slash five, Hingit can function on the right side of a uh, central three. And we also know Jordan Courtney Perkins can play in a back three as well. Courtney Perkins can also play as a left-sided cent- uh, centre-back as well. So there is that little bit of versatility in that group there, which... We, like, uh, we've spoken to Warren Moon enough times to know he likes a side that can play a couple of different ways, and we will see that uh, at times this season. And we shouldn't rule out Carlo Armiento yeah. potentially being a left-sided option as well. So there's also the attacking option of him as a more attacking wing-back, so that might also be something they consider. So I do think they'll, they'll, we'll see a number of players playing in these positions for the Raw over the course of the season, and like I said, it'll be interesting to see who ends up being considered the first choice at the end of the year. Well... Considering the, I would say, relative lack of options um, in terms of depth in the next group of players, the central defenders, Tom Aldridge, Scott Neville, Kai Truen, Anton Milanaric, and youngster James Nikolovsky, I would not be at all surprised if those fullbacks get pulled into uh, service there at some stage as well. Tom Aldridge, easily the best central defender out of that group, but did battle injuries a lot last season and this preseason as well. He did miss a couple of Australia Cup games. Uh, Kai Truon, we've seen him deployed as a central midfielder at times as well in that sort of defensive holding role, which I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised at, but it might just be uh, Moon's way of getting one of the, his, uh, what he thinks is his best players onto the pitch. And Scott Neville can also function as, on the right side of a back four as well, Scott. He can. Scott Neville, much better defender than I am, no doubt about that. But this is probably the strength of the Royals team if they're all actually on the on the field and fit because Connor Chapman and Tom Aldridge, to your point, have had injury history in the past. But when they have played together in this preseason, they've looked quite good as a pairing. And Scott Neville as well, a really good experienced player. So I think if they can keep those that trio on the field, if that ends up being a back three, I think that could be a really strong part of the side. But if, if they have injuries in that position, there could be a couple of question marks. So... This is probably the big area of 
question for the Raw. Can they keep those guys? We know how important Tom Aldred has been and how they've looked when he's not there. If he's there for the full season and Connor Chapman's alongside of him, I think this could be one of the better defensive units in the league. And if they have injuries in this position, it could it could be a bit of trouble. And genius that I am, I didn't actually read Connor Chapman's name. So go figure, Adam. Over to you. Yeah, look, uh, I think obviously uh, Aldred Neville are probably locks to um, to to start as in those so central defensive roles if they go with two, and then the third one will be I think will be split between you know, potentially Connor Chapman as he said, and uh, and like I said, Jordan Courtney Perkins has also has shown in his previous stint with the um, with the Raw that he can play on that left left side of those three centre backs. Uh, quite true, and I think it's even though he spent the majority of last season. Uh, playing, playing in the back three, he seems to be uh, being more prepped as a, a defensive midfield option. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, but obviously as well, he can obviously slip in into that that role as well. So it looks like it's a very very serviceable back back three, and also as well the um, the Brisbane Royal Academy Player of the Year, uh, James Nikolovsky as well, obviously uh, also provides a bit of cover as far if uh, there are injuries. But it is, it is a bit of a threadbare group, but plenty of quality amongst them. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like the, These guys aren't all going to be playing at the same time. There just isn't enough spaces uh, available in the team to justify that. And I think that will be the hope as well, where when you're calling on the likes of, let's say, Anton Milinaric who might be the first option off the bench, or possibly, you know, it might mean that you can, you can give Tom Aldred a little bit of time to recover if he is feeling a bit of a knock. Because, to be fair, Neville and Truon, they were solid last year when they were paired together as well. So there are options, and where there are also options is in the centre of midfield, uh, with the likes of Ramadakbari, Jay O'Shea, that's Jay, not John, um... <laughs> Riku Danzaki, Jesse Daly, Matty Steinman, Sam Klein, Riley Gill, and James Murphy. The latter three all coming up from the NPL side. I actually do want to start on Sam Klein because he was called up to the bench a couple of times uh, in the A-League last season, Scott. And he seems like one of those youth players that might be someone uh, who'll see a fair few minutes as uh, the season goes on. John O'Shea, gee, those were the days. What I would give to see him running around in a red shirt at Old Trafford. That's a whole other story. I don't think, in terms of, in terms of Sam Klein, yeah, I think he's probably one player who's got a brief opportunity at the back end or at times last season, also in the Australia Cup this year. I think there's an opportunity for him to really push in that midfield area. If Luis Abala isn't going to be a midfield player this year, I think it may very well be an opportunity for him in that role. But the interesting thing will be if Kai Truen does play midfield alongside Jay O'Shea, where does that leave the likes of Jesse Daly and Ramadek Bari? Are they maybe fighting for one spot in the midfield, or are they both on the bench if Riku's that third player in the midfield? So I think there's some really good options in that midfield. It's really just going to come down to what sort of combinations the Raw want. Because all the, they've all, we've said it before, they've all got something a little bit different about them, James, in terms of what they bring to the table. But I, I just think it seems like um, the midfield pairing of O'Shea and Truem with, with um, Danzaki given a more free role appears to be the way that Warren Moon is looking like he might go based on what we've seen in preseason. I think that might be the first plan and a couple of those other guys then giving you some good options off the bench. Adam, it all seems like it's going to come down to how these combinations in midfield form as well. You've got Akbari and O'Shea and Daly, the guys who have played together quite a lot. They'll have to find a way to reintegrate uh, Dan Zaki, who you feel like would be a day one starter for this side. 
it, 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 it for me, it's, be. yeah. Well, it feels like it's just going to be all about um, getting these connections up and running as quickly as possible because this is a side that needs to find goals. Absolutely, and uh, we'll discuss as far as the attacking group at the, at the moment. But it does it does start through the midfield, and uh, it depends on which which way they sort of they go with the how they uh, position this midfield, and and who plays where, and you know, and, and what and what formation that it takes. It will sort of determine sort of the rest of the team because, um, yeah, look, it, it, you're not going like I said. Realistically, you've got you've got a um, if Kai Truon is actually in fact going to play in midfield, which is or from what we've seen in preseason is a is a very very big suggestion. Uh, obviously, Jay O'Shea, you know, pretty much plays you know every every week. But then, yeah, like I said, you you've got Ramon Akbari, Riku Danzaki if he's not been deployed up front, further up front. You know, a Jesse Daly as well. That you know basically are playing for one spot. So, and uh, they could also be a horses for courses thing where you know depending on the opposition, depending on the situation, they could they could it could be a bit of a rotation. So, uh, I think that's going to be the great mystery that will probably be solved. You know. You know, sort of as the season goes on, about what is the Raw's strongest possible midfield and what works from the best. Because, like I said, at the moment you got you got midfielders, yeah, you know, playing. Like I said, you might you've got, I think, a few too many midfielders playing for essentially not enough spots. Well, I would like to paraphrase a very successful coach in another sport and say that depth depth in early October does not necessarily equal depth in April, as we have found out with the Raw many a time before when the injury bug uh, winds up biting. If that coach is who I think you're talking about, he's not very successful anymore, or not recently, but to Adam's point about the um, midfield options and being a horses for courses and rotation, I can absolutely see that being the case where maybe you want different types, different options for different roles. So I can definitely, as I said, they all bring me different to the table. I think it may very well be that one of those midfield spots does change from week to week based on the sort of players that you want in there. So I definitely think they'll all get their chance at some point, but I think I think to start off with, it'll be True and O'Shea and and, and um, Danzaki being given that free roll and it's great to see Riku back he was such a great part of this Brisbane Raw team two years ago when they made the finals he was a big part of that it's great to have him back in the side and he's already made a massive contribution in the Australia Cup campaign both scoring goals and setting them up so he's already making a massive impact once again I think he's in for another massive season Adam just quickly can you clarify Riku Danzaki was the inaugural winner of the Brisbane Football Review A-League Men's Player of the Year wasn't he? He certainly was, and I think the interesting thing was it will be as well that uh, in that in his first campaign he was playing um, predominantly as a right winger. There's a chance that I think that he could almost play in that role, that playmaking number ten role, uh, and which will obviously allow him to sort of you know, further showcase a little bit repertoire as far as you know, attacking skill as well as his passing range. So I think he might be a different Riku Danzaki as far as you know what how he contributes to this side. Well, speaking of uh, attacking contributions, we hope we will be seeing plenty from the group made up of Charlie Austin, Nikola Milayuznic, Cyrus Demi, Jez Lofthouse, Joe Knowles, Henry Hoare, Carlo Armiento and Thomas Waddingham. Scott? Yes, I think, oh, Charlie Austin's the big name here, isn't he? It's a big, the big off-season recruit for the Brisbane Raw, the marquee man up front. He's already delivered in the Australia Cup in front of goal, so we know the quality he's going to bring to this side over the course of a full pre-season he's had here. He should be ready to go on the weekend in round one. And it's a, it's really, it's great seeing a really big-name centre forward here for the Brisbane Raw, who has still got plenty left in the in the legs. We saw Massimo Macaroni here a few years ago as a big name, but he was probably past his best. As I think Charlie Austin still has a lot to offer. And 
clearly a big part of this side is going to be built around the way he plays, setting it up for him to score the goals. So that'll be a big part of it. The other interesting thing, apart from Charlie Austin, is going to be, does someone play alongside him? Does Joe Knowles start alongside of him, who lit it up in the MPL South Queensland, as you called it, James? Or does Cyrus Demi get a chance, having not necessarily had the greatest of 12 months for the Brisbane Raw? Does he get a chance? And in the wing roles, Henry Hall was a revelation last year. Can he back that up once again? Can he go from being a 5-6 goal a year player to being a 7-8-9 goal a year player and being that additional goal scoring threat that the Raw probably need if they're going to make a run at the top six? They're going to need more than just Charlie Austin and more than just Riku to be goal scorers. They're going to need somebody else, James, to step up and he might be the third cog in that wheel. So it's a very good group of attackers, but all attention is going to be on Charlie Austin, right? Well, yeah, and I want to talk about Austin as well because you brought up the comparison to Massimo Macaroni and the big thing that we heard so many times when it came to him was if the Raw had have signed him about three or four years before they did, he would have lit the league up, but it was just that a couple of years too late as well in terms of uh, his physical prowess. The one point I want to make about Charlie Austin though and what stood out to me from his Australia Cup contributions and now what we've seen in the preseason friendlies... I feel like he's a chance of scoring a few more goals. Now, he may not score as many goals as we hope, but I feel like he's going to make up for that by creating a lot of goals as well, be it laying on the key pass for Emilia Uznich to finish, for a Demi to finish, to try and unleash Lofthouse down the left wing or something along those lines. I I would honestly... I, I'm going to say it now. If Charlie Austin only scores five goals but winds up with 15 assists, I'm still going to call that a phenomenally successful signing because I feel like his contribution to the team is not just going to be burying the chances that he'll get uh, in this uh, 18 or 6-yard box. He's also going to be functioning almost as a secondary or even tertiary playmaker where he is the one setting up his teammates as well because that friendly they played against Rochdale as well, the way that he was talking to his teammates throughout the build-up and all of that was a massive, like, tick in the right box for me. Look, I actually think I wouldn't be too concerned if Charlie Austin, before the World Cup break, yeah, as long as he's, he's, he's contributing and actually, you know, laying off, because I think, especially in the first couple of weeks, the, I think the number one game plan will be for MacArthur, for Melbourne City, you know, the week after, and obviously the cup, their opponents leading up, it's to stop Charlie Austin. But what what the the challenge that Charlie Austin needs to sort of you know, lift his game on and yeah you know, and meet is that he needs to now put them put his teammates in a position and he, his teammates need to be the ones to be beneficiaries for that because I think it's going to be shut shut him shut down Charlie Austin you shut down the raw that's going to be the opposition mentality and like and this this sort of lens obviously for a player like a, a Henry Cor uh, Henry Hoare and a um, Nikola Mulyuznich to really sort of, you know, at least early in the season, could really sort of, you know, lay a marker down all while, you know, Charlie Austin's providing opportunities. I think that's, that's I think, perhaps the, the best-case scenario uh, for, for it right now. And Charlie Austin does arrive, James, after a pretty good year for QPR in the championship. So it's your point about Masso Macaroni signing him a few years later than they ideally would have. They're signing a player who's just out of the championship playing some really good football. And there were clubs over in the UK at a very high level that were reportedly interested in, in signing him and he made the decision to move out here with his with his young family and take up an opportunity here 
in Australia. So he's got plenty left in the locker, and I think he's up for a, a big, big year for the Raw. Hopefully, it's got a fair few goals. But I do agree with your point about if he only scores seven, eight goals, but assists another dozen, it's still a very, very successful year. So it's goal contributions you're looking for from him, not just not just individual goals. The other thing is interesting, two young guys who got their chance last year in the squad, Jez Lofthouse and Cyrus Demi, it didn't work out for them last year. This year, it has to work out for him in terms of becoming a valuable option initially off the bench and maybe pushing for a start by the end. But it's a big year for those two young players. Two young Queensland products who've got their opportunity. It's a big year for them to at least make themselves a valuable impact player off the bench. Well, that's the one point I want to um, follow up. was going to uh, conclude uh, the squad breakdown with was the fact that, yeah, Demi and Lofthouse probably didn't live up to expectations last year. But I feel like that season, by and large, for them was a learning experience about how to be an A-League men's player. How do you function as a senior level? Because those guys have dominated the NPL, but now you're dealing with guys whose whole life is playing football. And my son may have just made an appearance in the background. Well done, Tommy. But uh, overall, we've got yeah Demi and Lofthouse. Coming to the Brisbane Raw soon. <laughs> I, did, uh, I did ask uh, when the academy starts their intake, but... Uh, Maybe a few years yet. Demi and Lofthouse, they've had their learning experience. It did kind of feel like last year was almost just a sit-and-watch season for Lofthouse. And I can see him contributing early on as an impact sub off the bench. Yeah, I think it's very, very important for those, uh, for Demi and Lofthouse as well, to take that next step. Also, a player I want to also highlight is Joe Knowles. I think he's uh, he's obviously uh, had a very, very good campaign, uh, you know, for the the MPL South Queensland uh, champions. And uh, and certainly, who are they, by the way? Uh, the Oxley Cannons. There we go. Um, but yeah, look, uh, I think he, obviously as well, he 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 showed already uh, that he that he certainly could sort of step up to the mark uh, by scoring that those marquee friendlies against uh, Leeds United. And uh, look, I'll be interested to see if how he he goes as far as a uh, backup. Obviously, he has some A League experience. Um, went went back and uh, played played at, at the MPL level and uh, has been given another chance. And I would hope that he takes his chances with both hands and two feet. And the stories you heard about him this off-season in terms of coming up to Brisbane to train during the week with the Raw and then flying back to play for Oxley during the um, NPL season, the guy clearly wants it. So you know that he, you know that he's going to give himself every chance. So that's how the Raw... Sh- he also had a brief stint over in Scotland as well after he left to Perth Glory. So he's had a brief taste of European football as well. But your point about him... The commitment to come up here and train and then go back and play Fox at the weekend, that shows you just how much he wants it. Yep. All right. Um, we're almost closing in on about an hour, so we might have to go lightning round for our rest, rest of the A-League preview, if that's all right with you guys. So what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to name a club, and one of you is going to have a quick statement on what you're expecting from them this season, and then we'll move on, try and get this done as quick as possible, starting with... Adelaide United, and I'm going to flip a coin in my head. Let's go with Adam. What are you expecting from Adelaide? Uh, look, it, it might be a bit of a... Um, I think it's going to be an interesting season for them. Uh, certainly, Craig Goodwin signing uh, signing again. Uh, I think it's a permanent signing. Uh, I think that's, go- that's going to be uh, huge for them. Uh, but obviously, yeah, it's, it's going to be... Uh, they're going to have to sort of, you know, 
go better than what they did last year. So they've got a, a few signings, uh, a few players that have sort of left the club as well. So it's how they how they balance the outs with the ins will determine their fate this season. Scott, Central Coast Mariners. Uh, it's all changed at Gosford, isn't it? A lot of a lot of key players who've moved on. Mark Birigidi, Kai Rolls, Marco Arena, Matt Simon retired today. They've replaced them with a couple of Visa players. That could go either way. We'll have to wait and see how the quality of those players. Danny Vukovic coming back, I think, is a really good sign for the, for him and for the Mariners have a bit of experience there in goal. Probably boosts his chances of being one of the three goalkeepers to go to the World Cup in Graham Arnold's squad. But Marco Tulio, Paul Aongu and Kelichi John are the three Visa players they have brought in. I think their successor others will be dependent on those three. And hopefully young Dan Hall, the Western Pride junior, gets more of an opportunity at the heart of defence this year for Nick Montgomery's side. So, intriguing to see how they go. It'll probably come down to the visa players. And we should also mention that is actually Marco Tullio. There wasn't an autocorrect issue when they tried to sign Marco Tullio. Now, the reigning Australia Cup champions for all of about 48 hours at the time of recording, Adam, is Dwight York going to make a big difference here? It seems it seems like they're going all right at the moment. Dwight York uh, obviously haven't met met the feet yet as they went through the uh, Australia Cup uh, rounds. And uh, look, I think there's uh, a lot of positives with uh, Macarthur. I think they just got they just got to put together uh, consistently and you know, beat the teams that they should do. Obviously, Daniel Alzani back is going to be a huge X factor as he tries to chase a late. Uh, call up for Qatar. Um, obviously, a solid team. I think Ulysses Levia is set for have a great season, and I, I think they, I think they're going to be in it for a while. I think as as uh, you pointed out uh, earlier, is that the the form line seems to be that the teams that do well in the cup generally hold their form at least for the first half of the season, and uh, so I expect them to be to be up there, especially in the first half of the season. It'll be up to them where they can hold on and uh, and sort of push on to finals. Scott, over to you, and you can discuss the reigning premiers, Melbourne City. I do like the MacArthur side, but I also like this Melbourne City side. Not a lot of change here for Melbourne City to the players coming in, in terms of what they have. But they've got uh, they've got a Borussia back in the league. That's that's a positive, right? Every A League needs <laughs> a Borussia. It's not best yeah. side. It's Valon Borussia on loan in for Melbourne City in the midfield, but they've got a really strong side as you would expect. The only question I have over Melbourne City, and this is really nitpicking and splitting hairs here. If they do have injuries in the front third to goal scorers, namely McLaren and the boot, do they have enough goal scoring depth in their reserves to come in and fill that void? They've got Marco Tilio, not the Brazilian winger at the Mariners, <laughs> the Australian international Marco Tilio, to come in as one option. But apart from him, they have lost Kolakowski, who was the notional attacking option from off the bench, as well as Pucciarelli. So they're a little bit light on in terms of attack. I wouldn't be surprised if they add somebody in January, but. This is a this is a Melbourne City side under the City Football Group, and as we've seen in England, James, once they get it right, they tend to just build on that and continue and continue and continue. And they've got it right here in Australia now as well, and I expect them to be a real force once again this year. Indeed, Adam, um, I, I will just take the listeners in behind the uh, Iron Curtain uh, for a second here and just talk about um, how Scott's laid out this notable ins list for the Melbourne victory. He's led with Eli Adams. And just buried... Alphabetically. Oh, so that's why you buried Nani right at the end. Either way, Adam, yeah. what are you expecting from uh, the former Manchester United man and Melbourne victory in general? 
look, I think the popper revolution continues. I think they take they take sort of a, an- another step. I think they'll be right right in uh, contention this year. I think uh, Louis Nani. I think he he's, he's showing that he's still he's still you know worth you know worth a lot of value to the side. You know the way he's playing. I think he if he if he can stay healthy and uh, provide that you know that. Yeah, experience. I think that Melbourne victory could be good, but that goes beyond that. I think they've still got some really sort of strong sign. I think Paul Izzo in goal. I think is an upgrade uh, over over um, Ivan Kalava last year. Uh, Enrique Lopez as well. The uh, the the fullback as well. Very experienced player out of uh, La Liga. And uh, look, if Tommy Urich rediscovers his best form, he's bounced around from club to club for a few years. So. Um, and we had, probably hasn't seen his best for a while, but if if Popovich can find a way to get him firing, uh, Melbourne victory, they're, they're, they're right in it. Indeed. Uh, Scott, Newcastle Jets, they lost Daniel Pena. Is that going to doom them this season? Well, year two of the Tony Popovich era looks like it's going to be strong for victory. I think year two for for Arthur Papps in, in Newcastle could also be quite good. I, I think they're one of the more underrated teams in the league. Yes, they've lost Daniel Pena and in that side from last year and he was so good for them but the rest of the visa players that they've lost I don't think they offered a great deal they've kept Becker Mikel Tadze and he was a phenomenon for them in the front third lines they've added another Becker from from international as well so that if one Becker was good two maybe even better so we'll have to wait and see but they've added a lot of really good players who know the league James look at guys like Trent Bahaja James McGarry Brandon O'Neill Renault Piscopo they're not necessarily the biggest names you're going to find but they are really good players who know the league, got experience, and have got plenty left to give. That really good mix of youth and experience. And it really does fit the way that Arthur Pappas wants to play. I reckon they're going to play that back three with wingbacks. And having James McGarry and Carl Jenkson as your two wingbacks in that system could be really effective. So they've recruited specifically for what they want. And I think this I think this is an under-the-radar team that might surprise a fair few people. I think a lot of people have Newcastle at the bottom of the end of the table. I think they might be a little bit better than that. Yeah, I'm finding myself agreeing uh, with that. Perth Glory, well, look, it can't be any worse than last season in terms of circumstance, can it, Adam? Can it? I think uh, I think this debacle that the West Australian government has uh, befallen upon Perth Glory, I almost feel sorry for them. Um, because I think they're going to struggle, not because of the, not because of the sort of lack of depth. I think they've recruited, I guess, solidly without no, not knowing too much about uh, Salim Khalifi. Obviously, uh, the Tunisian, I think it's, it's could, could be you know a, a very very good signing. Uh, Michael Beavers, uh, a English uh, defender, very very strong. Mustafa Amini, obviously, uh, we 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 sort of have a lot we and we know a bit about, and obviously he. Uh, he would uh, also, as well, if he could find top four, and he'll help. But I think the uncertainty about their schedule, the fact that they, they won't be playing at their, their true home, being HBF Park, for half the season, the disruption that will come from that, I think is really going to make what is a very difficult uh, task for uh, Perth Glory, being that they're, they're one half of the distance derby. Uh, so not having a true home, I think, and they're going to they're going to struggle this year. But I think a lot of it is not of their own making, which is unfortunate. Yeah, uh, victims of circumstance is the best phrase I can think of when it comes to describing Perth Glory. Uh, Sydney FC, I've got to watch that special that they put out on them on uh, Paramount Plus at some stage, Scott. But uh, that was last season. Is this season going to be an improvement on their uh, poor efforts last year? 
So you can watch that special on Sydney FC and then you can tell me all about it. So I'm not going to watch that. But for Sydney FC, this is probably the greatest test of Steve Corica's coaching career. He came into that club as the head coach, took over a team that Graham Arnold had built and was able to continue on the legacy over the last couple of years, picking up silverware in his own right. Last year it didn't go well and it seemed like it just hit a bit of a brick wall where it looked like it was time for a bit of a rebuild. So this is the biggest test of, of um, Steve Corica's coaching career. They have lost... A lot of experience, Barbarousas, Babo, Cam Sober, Zulo, and of course Milos Ninkovic. I might talk about him in a minute when we get to the Wanderers, but they've lost a lot. They've brought in some good visa players. Joe Lolly, Robert Mack in the front, that could be interesting. Alex Parsons from the Raw as a young attacking option. I think their season could depend largely on if Jack Rodwell is genuinely going to be playing in his heart of defence, a position which, to my knowledge, he hasn't played a lot of before. He didn't play it last year in the A-League, that's for sure. If he's going to be the new defensive partner for Alex Wilkinson, that could be really good on the ball. If it falls apart defensively, that might hamstring them, but they've got quality Sydney, and I'll be intrigued to see just how how well Steve Corica can coach this new little group, because they've got a lot of young players as well, who from their academy that have spoken about for a long time, they've got good young players. Well, this year I think we're going to see that, and we'll see how good they are. For sure. And uh, the Wellington Phoenix are no longer the Wellington Phoenix of Wollongong. They're heading home, Adam, and is that going to uh, be a big advantage for them? I think it, initially, I think it will be. I, I think that uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of excitement uh, of them actually playing at home. Uh, but also as well, there's a lot of unknowns, as we always say about the Knicks, about their recruiting. They've sort of you know, really gone outside the square as far as their um, their recruiting. Costa Barbarousas is back where it all began for him. So, obviously, a, a lot older, a lot wiser, but I still think he can uh, contribute. But, uh, yeah, look, I uh, I think that uh, they, they didn't they need to start well. And uh, I just think, yeah, they, they, there's a lot of unknowns. that I think they could, be, they could surprise, but I think they could also struggle. But uh, one thing I will say that, you know, you know that they're going to give it all with uh, Ufuk Tale, who is, probably, who is one of the best coaches in the league. For sure. Over to Western Sydney Wanderers. Scott, I've fallen into the trap of buying into their recruitment before. Not this year for me. What about you? I did the same thing. I picked them top two last year. I refused to buy in. It's not that they haven't brought in good players. It's just that it fooled me once, shame on me, fooled me twice, you know, the rest of it, right? So they're a bit like the homemobile, James. You know, the, the, it's like so many different ideas thrown together, but it never seems to come off and work the way you want it to. And They've done that once again this year. It's one heck of a clear out. Bacchus, Gordon, Hamed, Abini, Petrados, Robwell, Troisi, Ugarkovic, they're all gone. Income, Amal Fatano, Brendan Brello, who I'm very hopeful is going to have a good year back in the A League. Bazanovic, Marcelo, Kripic up front, Milos Ninkovic, who will be interesting to see what treatment he gets from the Sydney FC fans. Last time a player crossed that divide, they've got snakes thrown at them, so interesting to see what the Cove have come up with there. But it's all changed, but. It's more of the same, isn't it? Western Sydney seem to do this every single year. They win the off-season transfer window with a bunch of big names, a lot of hype around them. And for the last three, four years, they haven't delivered. Something has to work in Western Sydney. I'm not 100% sure this is going to be it, but it's as good as anything else they've put together, so we'll have to wait and see. But like to your point when you teed me up on this, I'm not going to be buying into it because I haven't haven't seen them deliver in the last years. I wish Mark Rudin well, but I think he might need it. Yep. Um, that's good for you, uh, wishing him well. Over to Western United, and Adam, you get the final say here. 
They won the grand final last year. Will John Aloisi build on that success? Look, I don't, I think there might be a drop off. I think they they were by far the hottest team uh, going through the uh, final series. They they managed to pretty much you know knock off their two Melbourne uh, rivals. Uh, and uh, look, look, they're a serviceable team, a solid team. Uh, whether they can do it again is a, a sort of you know, is a debate. But uh, look, I think they're at least going to be there and about. I think they're a solid team. Look, John Allenwissey, you know the way he coaches, it's great to see him. Um, really sort of, you know, say and get some success uh, with that. But no, it's a, it looks like from their recruiting, it's a very solid uh, returning unit. So I think at least they'll replicate, you know, what they did in the league and then we'll just uh, play it by, by ear from there. All right. That is our Around the A-League segment. And now it's time to put our necks on the line. Figuratively, of course. I'm not actually going to go all uh, Marie Antoinette here going to now uh, give our predictions for the coming season and we will start with our Brisbane Raw specific ones and uh, well I'll go first who is going to be the most valuable player for the Raw this year I'm going with Charlie Austin that's why they brought him in here to be the most valuable player for the Raw and I think uh, if he fires the Raw will fire Scott I'm going with Riku I think last time we saw Riku he was I thought he was the best player in the league that year, certainly that I saw in person regularly. I think if he brings that once again this year, he will be the Raw's MVP. Charlie Austin for me. And uh, straight back to you, Adam. Golden Boot, I'm going to guess it's the same answer. That would be correct. Charlie Austin as well. Scott? Yeah, I, I, it should be Charlie Austin. I think there'll be other goal scorers. I think he will be the Raw's Golden Boot leader. Well, yeah, and I would also point out that while I said I would be happy if Austin scores 5 and assists 15, I would be much happier if he just goes and scores 20-odd. That would be good. Alright, breakout player. Now, this can be interpreted in a number of different ways. Scott, how did you interpret this? I looked at a young player who's been on the periphery, maybe a little bit of a starter, but someone who really beds down a position in the starting lineup, and I went for Louisa Barlow. I think he will end up taking one of those fullback roles. I'm not sure left or right, but I think he will be the breakout player for the Raw. He really establishing himself as a solid A-League player for the Raw. I feel like I might have cheated a little bit on this. I'm going to say Carlo Armiento. I think he's an interesting player, late addition to the squad, but that pacey wide player, I can actually see him getting uh, utilised quite a lot by Warren Moon. I've actually gone with uh, Kytron as the breakout player. Look, yes, he has he has started as far uh, as... Do we have a challenge Didn't flag? Didn't he win that award last year? Flag that play. Did he? Yes. Uh, no, he's going to... No, I go, <laughs> no, he can't flag that. I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm throwing a challenge flag on that one. But, uh, yeah, look, my, my reason behind it is that... Look, he, 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 had, he had a good season last season. I think in a new role and all that, I think he'll go to next, the next level. So... I think he's going to be breakout player, allegedly, again. Okay, there we go. Is this going to be like when um, Gareth Bale won Young Player of the Year in the Premier League for about four years straight or something? Potentially. There we go. All right. Now, the last Raw-specific question we've got, the player they can't afford to lose, and I'm going to lead this one off because, well, I feel like I've actually got something interesting to say. You guys talked about uh, all the attacking, all the def- uh, opposing defenses being focused on Charlie Austin, feeling like if you stop him, you stop the Raw. That's why I'm saying the player the Raw can't afford to lose is Jay O'Shea. We saw the calming presence he brings to the center of the park, and if everyone's focusing in on Charlie Austin, 
think of the time and space he's going to have to just dictate the play and just pull the strings. So my player is uh, Jay O'Shea. Back to you, Adam. Uh, look, it's going to be a regular uh, tune. There's nothing to play. They can't afford to lose. It's Charlie Austin. I I think, and also honourable mention, Riku Danzaki. I think those two players, when it comes down to it, they they the raw season success hinges on those two players playing and playing and playing well for, for the majority of the season. If they don't, or they get injured or like that, it, it could be a very very long season. You know, I've said that publicly a number of forums now, and I'll will stick by that. That you know, the Austin Denzaki are the keys to the side. They they don't show up or don't perform, and yeah, I think the raw might be in a bit of trouble this season. I'll go for a different visa, but it does prove once again your visa players are the players you can't afford to lose. I'm going once again Tom Aldred. At the back, the last couple of years when the Raw haven't had him, as, as I said earlier, they have struggled defensively. If they miss him for a large part of this season again, they'll, they can't afford to lose him. He's, just, just, he's that valuable in that back line, James. They have to have the captain out there providing that leadership for, for the majority of, if not all of the season. Yep. All right, so that's the raw predictions. Now we're going to go over to our A-League-wide predictions, and I'm going to start off by giving you my projected ladder from 12th all the way up to 1st. Uh, 12th place, I've got Perth. They've been put between a rock and a hard place, and uh, the rock is on one of those pendulum swings, just going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, 11th place, Western Sydney. Maybe I'm still bitter about their letdown last year. We'll have to wait and see. Central Coast... Garen Quoll, you know, great uh, move for the Mariners selling him off, but he is going to be tough to replace, even though he only played limited minutes last year. Ninth, I've got Wellington. Home record, great, but every club that's got to get used to travelling to Wellington once again, Wellington have to get used to travelling internationally every second week. This one hurts. Eighth place, I've got Brisbane. I just... I feel like they're going to be in... uh, the mix for a finals berth in the final few weeks of the season. But I just can't see them having the depth to really get themselves over the line. Of course, if anyone from the Roar is listening to this, prove me wrong, folks. Prove me wrong. (laughs) And play this audio at the weekend too, please. (laughs) Uh, Seventh place, I've got Newcastle. Sixth place, Sydney FC. Uh, I feel like those teams are going to wind up being separated by about two points. Fifth place, Adelaide. And then I've got a bit of a gap. Victory in fourth, Western United in third, MacArthur in second, Melbourne City win another premiership. Over to you, Scott. Okay, so I also have Perth at the bottom of my table. Apologies. Rock and a hard place is the only way you can describe that. I just think that's where they're going to be. Um, 11th Central Coast. They've just lost too much quality from that side to replace it all in one year, so they're the bottom two. I've got Wellington in, in 10th place. I just think they lack a little bit of depth for me, so they're 10th. Ninth place, Western Sydney. I'm not buying into it. I can't put them any higher than that. Eighth, Adelaide. I just think they haven't recruited enough in the off-season to actually take another step forward. Seventh, Brisbane. I just don't... I just... It's just on the bubble to me. I'm just not 100. I would love to see them make the top six, but I've just got them on the edge of that because I have Newcastle... In sixth place, as I said, I think they're going to be a very underrated side. A team people will have overlooked, but I think they've got a really nice mix, and I think they will just scrape into the top six with Arthur Pappas as their coach. Then fifth place, Western United. Fourth place, Sydney FC. Third place, MacArthur. Second place, Melbourne City. And I have Melbourne Victory 
winning the Premiership. They've had the, that squad together since they played their Premier League preseason games in June. I think they are firmly set for a return to the top. Unfortunately, as much as people don't want to hear it, I think they will be on top this year. Adam? Yeah, no, no real surprises uh, from me. I think it's pretty much sort of as is. I think uh, I'd like to put the premise on that. I think it was very, very easy from uh, the top three. Uh, bottom place, I think, was uh, pretty much assured. But look, anywhere from about fourth down to 11th, I think it's going to be an absolute dogfight uh, for position. And like I said, while this is a prediction now on the uh, first week of October, it could very, very well change depending on circumstances. But with that said, no fence sitting here. My uh, ladder goes as follows in 12th place, Perth Glory. Uh, look, I'll share the same with you guys. I think the situation they've got is absolutely, um, yeah, is not going to help them. I, I think that they'll get better at the end of the season, but I think the damage will have been done. Uh, in 11th place, Wellington, I think that they're, I think they're away record. I think they might struggle a little bit. Um, look at the home and home. I think they're, they're not obviously not going to win every game. So I think that, but they'll be well and bad. 10th, Western Sydney, just too many changes. I can't see how that's healthy having 15 change squad changes every season. And look, I, I think at some point Mark Rudin and all all the club themselves just got to say, look, we'll settle on a core group and re, and just build slightly on the following season. Uh, ninth spot, Central Coast Mariners. I think they've lost uh, probably they've lost more than they've gained. Eighth spot, Brisbane Raw. Um, again, I, it's I tried, I tried, I tried to find a way to justify them getting the finals. I think this is part of a longer rebuild. I think this this year will be you know, obviously it'll be a marked improvement on eleventh uh, place, but I think they'll just fall short. Seventh place, Sydney FC. I think uh, they. I think it all relies on two. Many, uh, relies on a handful of players to perform, being their their visa players in Mac uh, Lolly and uh, the other gentleman and Di- Diego Caballo. If they don't fire, Sydney definitely don't fire. So I think I think that they'll just miss out. Sixth place, Newcastle. I agree with Scott. I think they're they're a real dark horse. I think Arthur Pappas has got that team, you know, sort of really go. You know, you know, built nicely, and if they obviously can keep everyone in the park and healthy, uh, they, they certainly can at least you know, make the finals. Adelaide in fifth, I think uh, Craig Goodwin signing, I think is is huge for them. I think they've got you know, a good consistent side. I think they'll be they'll be they'll be tough to to, to uh, beat, and I think they uh, in times, and I think that they'll be sort of in the reckoning. Fourth, Western United. Uh, uh, what can you say about them? They're obviously the, the champs. They'll. they'll they, they may not be, go to the heights as they did last season, but certainly they'll be there. MacArthur in third, the uh, cup the cup winners. Obviously, their form was strong early, and I think they can probably kick on at least to um, to finish in the top four. Melbourne victory in second, uh, and Melbourne City in first. But you know, either way, it wouldn't surprise me if either Melbourne team are the premiers. All right. Well, that's our ladder predictions. We will put all of these in a graphic to go out on the Raw social. So um, if you have... Uh, our socials, not the Raw social. Oh, the, the, raw, yeah. the Raw reject our hopes. Yeah, good. <laughs> it's been a long day, all right? Yeah. <laughs> There's no chance they're publishing that with two, seventh, two eighth place finishes and a seventh place finish. There's no way they're publishing that. Good point. All right, well, that's a great... So we'll publish it on our socials as uh, the Raw season approaches, which is what that sentence was meant to be. And uh, bonus points as well. Give us your feedback. Give us your own tables. And actually, even more bonus points. If, you know, you've got a bit of a disagreement, post it on Twitter and then don't delete it. Um, and now we're going to go on to um, 
our grand final winner predictions as well. I'm taking MacArthur. I I really like that squad, and they just have goal scorers aplenty. Uh, Victory City Grand Final. Don't care who wins. Take your pick. <laughs> wow. Okay, Adam. Uh, I think it's going to be a Melbourne, the original Melbourne derby as well. I think Melbourne Victory will uh, they will get revenge on a potentially Melbourne City win the Premiership. All right. Uh, now the Johnny Warren Medal. I've got it narrowed down to two players. As you can tell, I'm quite high on uh, MacArthur. Maybe I'm giving a little bit too much weight to the Australia Cup, but I don't care. I'm going with uh, Daniel Arzani. But there's a second part to this story that uh, I'm going to say Arzani misses the World Cup squad and then after the World Cup just absolutely lights it up as a bit of a... bit of Maybe not a middle finger, but a I've still got it campaign. Adam? Uh, look, I agree with you as far as the team that is going to provide the potentially the Johnny Ward, Warren medalist, but I think Ulysses Davia is going to be is going to be the uh, Joey Warren medal. I think he's he's the man that will um, that will sort of you know certainly set it all up. And you know if if your your scenario of Daniel Azani having ab- like going an absolute tear after the World Cup, Davia is going to be the reason why he's going to do that. Scott. Yeah, I'll keep this brief because Adam pretty much took, took my thunder and with Davio, I completely agree with everything that you said there. But everything that everything good MacArthur do goes through Ulysses de Villa for me. So I think they're going to have a really good year. I think he will be the Johnny Warren medalist once again. All right. Uh, golden boot. I tried. Jamie McLaren. He's still far and away the best striker in Australia. And as I have said for the last two years, he should be playing in a better league. Plain and simple. He's too good to be playing in Australia. But if this is a level he's happy with, so be it. Yeah, I'm going to call him audible. I wrote down McLaren as well, but I had Tommy Urich in my mind. He could be a real real bolter for this award. And to your point, similarly to Arzani, misses the World Cup, but has a real point to prove. I'll just say Tommy Urich wins a golden boot. Why not? Okay. Adam? I'm actually going to go a little bit outside the square, and I think uh, Becca Mitzeltarte will go one place better than he did last season. I think, obviously, he, he did well to obviously get into uh, sort of the top, the top of the uh, polls. I know that, you know, Jamie McLaren won by an absolute street in the end, but obviously, if, if we are all predicting that Newcastle Jets are going to have a better year, that's going to come, and that's going to provide more goal and score opportunities, I think Mitzeltarte will be the beneficiary of that. So I think he's out there, but look, I, I do agree as well. Jamie McLaren as well. I think he's just going to score goals. He's, he's a goal-scoring machine. All right. Now, the late call-up to this list that I wanted to um, throw at you guys, the main story... When we're doing our season review, what's going to be the main headline? And for me, it's going to be the pre-World Cup form means nothing. It's because I think what we're going to be seeing is... Someone's going to be a surprise leader or a not-so-surprise leader of the um, ladder when the league breaks in mid-November for the World Cup. And um, I think then when the competition resumes in mid-December-ish, during the knockout stages of the World Cup, I think we're going to see a side come back. They'll have spent their break just honing everything and they're going to go on an absolute tear. So my main headline is going to be that... uh, the early season form before the World Cup is going to be thrown out the window. Adam, what about you? Uh, look, my my headline will be, uh, and sort of begrudgingly, uh, the Melbourne the Melbourne clubs will continue to show the way in the league. Uh, look, I, I think that it's going to be other, other MacArthur 
yeah, obviously, based on their sort of uh, residual form from the Australia Cup, I think it's going to be Victory City and Western United are going to be right up there. All right, Scott, final prediction. Yeah, mine's similar. Victory re-emerged as one of Victoria's biggest clubs. We saw a few years ago they were challenging the likes of some of those Victorian hand egg league teams down there in terms of size and stature. I think that's going to re- really re-emerge as that. The other one I wrote down was Tony Popovich or John Aloisi to become the new Socceroos boss. We'll be something we might very well be talking about come the end of the year. Good call. All right. That's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you very much, Adam. Yep, thank you, and good night. Thank you, Scott. That's enough That's enough Victoria praise from us. I think good to talk to you once again. Yes. Uh, it's good to be back. We'll be here pretty much every week, I'm sure, during the A-League men's season. Uh, we'll be previewing the A-League women when that season gets a little bit closer as well. In the meantime, get out to Suncorp Stadium this Saturday uh, for the Raw's first home game where they're taking on MacArthur FC. Should be a fantastic afternoon. And uh, we'll be there to cover it all for the Brisbane Football Review. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you next week.